0: Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of M three sixty five Voice. I'm Antonio Mayo.
1: I'm Sarah Halsey.
0: And I am Mike Marolli. And I think we're going to take another question from our jar today. Oh, Do you have yes, shot I ready,
1: Sarah? Off, which is very necessary. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Antonio, near and dear to your heart here. Um, When implementing Microsoft Information Protection, how do you know how many labels to use, and whether or not you should use a default
0: label? Oh my goodness! I love that. You know my world too well. Um, So that's a great question. I've seen a few different implementations of uh, Microsoft Information Protection, or MIP, Um, and there's a few different schools of thought on it. Um, Kind of how many labels you should have what you should name them, picking a default or not. Um, uh, you know, Microsoft's recommendation on this one is really sound, having a small number of labels, right? I tend to think that having three or four labels is ideal, at the very most, five. Um, you might have a couple of sub-labels below that, but about below some of those. But that tends to be my recommendation and preference is keeping it around that level three, four, maybe five if you really have to. Um, how about yourselves? What have you guys seen? What do you What do you guys think on that one?
2: Um, in my world, I've done no more than four. Basically, uh, organizations wanted to keep it as simple as possible. Uh, I've, I've done few of them as three, yeah. uh, and then four was the most. I've never gone to five. And I, I like that. I've never came across any scenario with any client that that really wanted a lot of a lot of labels for MIP, because it will be a challenge to kind of convince them or make sure that we're not over uh, achieving with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Sir? I would agree. I think three to five is the sweet spot. Um, interestingly enough, Microsoft, because they made av- available recently, and when we publish out this episode, I'll put a link to it um, in the blog post. But they came out with an adoption pack of resources for MIP implementations where they give you, for exa- example, email communications, Word documentation, PowerPoint presentations, visuals, and everything. And their visuals and their examples, they use five. Yeah. Um, so I've seen, um, I've heard of three using three labels, four labels, five. Any more than five, here's where I think the biggest problem is, it comes down to an adoption perspective. How many labels do you think you can get your users to understand? Because you and I have talked about this and we're putting the power or the responsibility more than the power, but the responsibility on all of our employees to appropriately label their content.
0: Absolutely. If
1: We give them too many. They're not going to be able to distinguish as easily between those things. And it's and our security posture is going to fail as a result.
0: Absolutely. Like there's two, two key elements in what you just said. First of all, it's when an end user is going to classify a document or an email, you're relying on them to choose the right label based on the nature of the communication or the document, right? And, and by relying on them, the really important part of that is you're making them, your end users, your staff, your personnel, a core part of your organization's security strategy. So it's important that when you roll out those labels, that you educate them on what they mean, which is the right one to choose in which circumstance, give them some good examples of when to choose a particular label, give them some uh, examples of where you should not choose that label as well. So some positive and negative examples and make it really easy to get to that guidance and the naming of the labels is really important so that they can easily, you know, at a glance, tell, oh, this is confidential or this is highly confidential or this is not confidential. Mm -hmm. or this can be public. Um, So, you know, having a small number of labels makes it much easier to understand what those things mean. The second big reason is when a user receives a document that's classified a certain way, um, they need to understand how are they supposed to handle that document. So when I receive a confidential classified document or highly confidential, what am I allowed to do with it and what am I not allowed to do with it? Um, And again, Small number of labels that are appropriately named for your organization so that it fits with your business is really important for them to be able to, at a glance, knowing, oh, I'm not allowed to send this outside, so I won't. Again, making the end users part of that security strategy.
1: Correct. You want simple labels, not the Dewey Decimal System. Um, That's right. And here's why because other than me, because I have, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously love all of these detailed classifications and taxonomies that go 27 layers deep, but your average user doesn't want to become an expert in classifying anything. They just want to send their email or save their document. That's all they want to do. It's part of their job.
0: Exactly. Um, Even before my current job, I worked (laughs) in the data classification world, and the only times where I saw a larger classification schema and that's that's what we would call it a data classification schema the list of your your labels and what they mean Um, the only time i saw a more um detailed one than four or maybe five labels uh was in military deployments so when we would deploy to certain um uh, units in the u.s military in particular certain commands um, they would use a particular data classification standard called CAPCO. Now, I don't know if CAPCO is still in use, but that I think had up to seven labels, seven, and it was seven levels deep as well. So depending on what you would choose at the first level dictated what options you had at the second level, at the third, at the fourth, so it was really detailed. But this is the military where they are mandated, right, they're, they're ordered to classify things. Um, so different contexts. And it's
1: a control culture. So if we bring this back to an adoption perspective, culture is incredibly important. Then what you name these things has to match your company culture so that people identify or understand what the names mean and how many labels and how, whether or not you even go with the default label should also match your company culture so that you have realistic expectations of what you're gonna get.
0: Exactly, exactly. Like when you start naming your labels, excuse me, your labels all end up with like the lowest sensitive, generally, let's say, um, they end up with like the lowest sensitivity is something like public. You're gonna name it something like that, right? Your highest sensitivity is gonna be something like highly confidential or highly sensitive or restricted, something like that. You're then likely gonna have one, you know, uh, a label that's just slightly less sensitive than that, maybe it's called confidential or sensitive, um, something, something around that nature. And then you have this other one, which is all of that day-to-day business emails and documents and data that is not particularly sensitive. The right. world is not gonna end if it accidentally gets forwarded outside, but it's internal content and should stay internal. That is the hardest one to name because some people call it general, some people call it general business. Um, in the, the Canadian government, they call it protected A. Um, uh, and there's other names for it, but that's the hardest one to name. And that ends up being like 90% of your content maybe gets named that. And that tends to be your default, right? Because the vast majority of our emails and documents, I don't tend to think are really sensitive. It depends on your role. Of course for some people, they are for some organizations. They are like, if you work for a financial institution, often a lot of your content is going to be sensitive. So again, or back to like culture that. point.
1: Inside joke for those that listen to all of our episodes: Mike's inbox is highly protected and classified. (laughs) World is documented in his inbox somewhere.
0: That's right. Uh,
2: So, with that, with that topic, how do you find clients respond to auto apply uh, the labels? Uh, Do they trust the system, or do they have that resistance to say? I really need to classify it myself because I want to make sure it's properly labeled.
0: That's that's a great question. There's two schools of thought on that, and I read a bunch of research a few years ago back around 2011 or 2012 on this. You, you in the data classification world, you used to have these two camps. One was all around user-based classification. So users are the people, the ones that best understand content and can best choose the right label for a content. Right, like even in the military, just because a document contains the word secret does not mean it's classified as secret, right. right? But automated processes might think so. So you had this one camp of user-based classification, and then you had another that said no automated classification that used taxonomies and, you know, um, um, uh, uh, metadata schemes to automatically scan content. That is the, the most accurate um, way of classifying content. Then I read a bunch of this research that's that's actually tested this, and it finds that um, when you have user-based classification, you probably get about a 30% misclassification rate, right? So about 30% of your content is misclassified. Maybe that's because people are just accepting the default all the time. Maybe mm-hmm. people are being overprotected and, you know, just to cover themselves. I'm going to classify everything highly confidential just in case. You got a 30% misclassification rate. And then you look at the results of automated classification, and again, you had about a 30% misclassification rate. And what we have found in some of our data classification deployments, and this is before MIP existed, the best solution is usually a combination of the two, where you've got user-based classification, where you can use the context of of the content or the user, right? A person's understanding of the content can contribute to what is the classification of it but then you also have automated policies that can double check, right? They can look, you know, when you have an attachment in an email and way down somewhere in that attachment, you have a social security number. It can tell you, oh, you have a social security number in this, but you classified it as general or public. Maybe you shouldn't. So those policy tips and outlook and the pop-up messages that MIP can bring up to tell you sensitive data is present, those are really, really useful. But my personal opinion is a combination of those two are, are is the best solution. Mm-hmm. Um, the automated classification policies by themselves, I find are this personal opinion only. I find they're a bit limited in their usefulness because they only look for um, uh, sensitive data types and keywords, which yeah. are useful. But I don't personally think unless you you really are in a situation where. Documents that contain social security numbers are classified sensitive. Documents that contain, you know, emails that contain credit card numbers are sensitive. There's a lot of other stuff that we work on that's sensitive that doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. And that, I find, requires a person. Um, I and myself, I, sorry, go ahead, Sarah.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, but I think Project Cortex and SharePoint Syntax and the content models could help with that. Because I know that's something that if you can teach a content model how to read a purchase order, That typically isn't going to have a social security number in it. But if you teach it that some of these things are considered confidential information, um, then it could actually follow that and then apply labels on behalf of understanding content, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I was going to say I haven't had a lot of luck with the trainable classifiers when I've tested those, to be honest. Uh, But Project Cortex, SharePoint Syntax is looking really promising with its results around that. So being able to identify, oh, this document is a contract. And according to your organization, your contracts are considered sensitive, but not highly sensitive. Um, That type of determination, I think, has a lot more context it can bring in to figure out, is this thing sensitive or not?
1: So Mike, when you work with clients on implementing this, how hard do you find it to help get them or to talk them through how to define a number of labels?
2: Oh, it is. It is. It is. The difficulty is to define the understanding of that, and basically, uh, what it means. Like Antonio said, what it means to be highly confidential versus confidential or internal only, uh, or or in 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 other worlds would be unclassified. That can be anything. Um, yeah what it's 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 not the number of labels because i've never had any challenges convincing them that she should keep them as low as possible between three and five it was more trying to educate them how to actually this uh, classify or what is what is a highly confidential and go and uh work with what i call them service champions to go and educate the mass users on those classification labels, because this is the hardest part, is to make sure that they understand how they classify exactly like like what Antonio said, this is the hard part most, more than the number of labels in my previous experience has been.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and to, to get back to part of the question, um, should you have a default label? I think that was part of the question. My recommendation tends to be yes, that when you do roll out MIP, you should have a default label and you should make a clear, uh, clear decision does all should all emails and all documents be classified with MIP? And I tend to recommend yes, if you're going to roll out MIP, make a firm decision, educate everybody on it. Every document, every email must be classified and roll out a default label and uh, roll out that uh, the, the mandatory policy that they all need to be classified.
1: Now here's the part where I think it's interesting because I think it's also important what you call, this data classification whatever you're going to refer to this umbrella as please don't call it mip or even mip outside of your configuration and project team i think you need to find a term that you can use uh, to explain it to your users what you're asking them to do and whether you call it data classification whether you call it project classify whatever you choose to call it internally Um, I would recommend that you think about calling it something that isn't a Microsoft product name that may change over time. And then you're going to have to decide if you want to change the name that all your users use to refer to the art and the task of classifying things.
0: That is a great tip. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great point. It helps to make the whole rollout of a data classification program um, part of your company culture, right? You kind of own it. You own the culture around it, the rollout of it. This is our program. This is our way of making all of our employees part of our security solution. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um let me ask you you both a question. Um In your experience, have you seen companies or organizations try to make every label apply protection or encryption to documents and emails?
1: I have not. Same here.
0: Okay. So I I usually recommend that you don't make every label you roll out be one that applies protection Um, because I find it interferes with the user experience a little bit too much and not everything needs that. Um, I've had to convince some clients, I've spent time trying to convince clients, no, you don't want to turn on encryption for every single label. And, and they'll often ask, well, why do we have this? Like, why are we rolling this out if we're not going to do that? Um, and it does take time to understand that, that you know the, the benefits of when I classify something, applying markings that helps to educate everyone on what is sensitive and what's not, it takes time to convince them of the value of that. So that as part of rolling it out, you're not only relying on the encryption because that use case breaks down sometimes, right?
1: Mm-hmm. When
0: you have something that's been forwarded to you it's been protected for a certain group and you legitimately need to share it outside the organization that entire use case can break down exactly um, yeah the way i
2: look at it and i tell people that uh don't just limit yourself keep it as open as possible with, with your labels and classification because at some point you're gonna run into a scenario like this and you're gonna lock yourself up. That's
1: I- right it's important to be pragmatic because when you get up into those upper the topmost um uh classification level and even the one down from there that's when you really have to drop the requirements and you requiring encry- i mean you have um harder requirements but let's be pragmatic with the rest because we shouldn't act like everything needs a hammer and um, because that's right. just
0: that's right exactly yeah. So did we answer the question, Sarah? Do you mind repeating We it? did.
1: The question was, when implementing Microsoft Information Protection, how do you know how many labels to use and should you have a default label? And I think we covered that actually pretty well.
0: Thanks, yes. think so. All That's right. Fun. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to you both. Um, uh, great um, thoughts and opinions shared on that topic. All right. We'll okay. see everyone soon.
1: Bye, everybody.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.